Now it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar, an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. And a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She spoke, she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There, was some, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can go and do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told well, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where where will, uh, where, where will you have us go and prepare for us to eat the Passover? And he, said to, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, for a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepared for us. And the disciples sent out, and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread in the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. 
And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it is possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but, but what you will. And after he came and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? <laughs> Can you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayers at hand. And immediately, while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you, come out as against, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man, had follow, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent. And made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face, and strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came 
Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are, you are also with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went into the gate, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to stand by, or to say to the bystander, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And a little while later, the bystander again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus, or how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Thanks to Doug. Get him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks that um, we see you, we know you, we attune to you through these words. And this is the moment that was probably one of the most grievous for you. And so I pray that as we attend to this text, attend to each other, that there would be something about your presence that is here through your spirit that would change us, that would make us more whole. That it wouldn't just be a story that we read, but it would be about a person that we know, you. And the Holy Spirit, you would attest to the reality of who you are to us today. So we commit ourselves to you. And we just um, say thank you. Amen. So we're at Mark chapter 14. Made it all the way to Mark chapter 14. And as we continue on in this text, it continues to get heavier and heavier because of the um, context in which we find Jesus. And as I prayed, this is probably one of the most harrowing moments that he experiences um, as he has taken on flesh and identified with us as humans. It's full of so many things. And um, part of this text, there are meals, meals that he's eating. And um, meals are significant things that we do every single day in order to stay alive. So we have all kinds of meals. We have our everyday meals. I remember in college sometimes I couldn't motivate myself to make much of a meal, so it was just peas, peas for dinner tonight, because they're what's in the freezer. It's just like everyday meals. There's also our house church, Drew, who's up here today. He makes a meal for us every Sunday. So good. That man can cook well. And it's just a delight to go and have this meal with the rest of the community that somebody else has made. Um, it's good. The celebratory meals, I was talking to Shalom this morning, and um, she was talking about how on their 10th birthday they go to um, have a tea, high tea. At, what's the hotel that you have a high tea at? Uh, yes, the Grand America. They have their 10th birthday as a high tea, and so it's this moment of celebration, this meal that they share together, cucumber sandwiches and the like. 
So there's celebratory meals, but there's also sad meals. You know, we live in the land of funeral potatoes, right? There's something to be said about um, eating potatoes in moments when you feel sad or glad or any time, really. You should be eating potatoes. Um, and I wonder if you can think of a favorite meal that you have. Maybe it's a tradition, a Thanksgiving, or maybe it's a particular place that you like to go to. I want you to just think of your favorite meal. And you've been listening a lot. We had some elders and then we had this passage. So maybe if you feel comfortable, you don't have to, but just turn to the next person next to you and just kind of mention that favorite meal just really quickly. Anybody want to shout out a favorite meal? Meatballs. Get it? Yes. Anybody else have a favorite meal? Do you want to shout out? What do you have down there? Chicken and dumplings, yes. Anybody have a favorite meal experience that they want to just yell out? Thanksgiving, yes. Anybody else? Easter, yeah, I feel like we had a really epic feast here, but I'm sure you have your own traditions, Easter. But there's also those awkward meals, right? Those awkward meals that you've had. And there's like a little too much silence. Or there's a person at the table with you that you're like, hmm, don't know how I feel about that person being up next to me. Or sometimes family, extended family, it can feel a little awkward or frustrating or like meals. These are things that we do all the time and they create affect and emotions and stories that we're tied to. And today's text, as Jonathan read it, opened with a meal. It um, is a moment where a a woman enters this house that Jesus is eating at as he's reclining at the table at Simon the leper's house. And this woman comes in. And she has this very costly jar that she breaks over the head of Jesus. She anoints his head. And it's perfume, and so you can imagine that that smell would fill the whole place that she's in. And immediately the men who are around her, it says they scold her because she could have done something more profitable with with that nard, with that perfume. It was probably worth about a year's worth of wages, and she just busted it open and poured it on Jesus. And he says to them, let her alone. Leave her alone. She's anointed my body for burial. And he says, he describes what she's done as beautiful. And because of that, people always will know about this act that this woman has done because what she has done is beautiful. She's attended to the reality of what is about to happen to me and she has broken this over me. And it is beautiful. And immediately, from that moment of beauty, as he's sitting around this meal, it goes to deep betrayal. You can read together verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. So it went from beauty to deep, deep betrayal. And later on, as we read, he does so. 
Rabbi, teacher. And then he likely leans in and kisses him on the cheek. He betrays him with a kiss. It's intimate and it's personal and it's close. He betrays him with a kiss. And then all the others betray him too. Starts in the garden when they just sleep. And then they run away and they abandon him. And then the one who doesn't run away denies who he is to a little girl of 12. And so it moves from this moment of beauty to this deep kind of consistent narrative of betrayal. And sandwiched between that beauty and that betrayal is another meal. It's the time of Passover, which you also heard. And Passover is a Jewish festival, and it connects the Jewish people's history to a liberating moment, a moment when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And so Passover is the way that they rehearse that experience. They retell the story of how God liberated them. And they do that through a meal together. And so as Jesus is sitting there with them, he actually institutes another meal. And it's also a meal that is a liberating moment. Jesus um, is going to go to the cross and he's going to absorb all of the world's hostilities into himself in order that he can emerge and be raised up, which is, it says in verse 28, in order to be able to offer something new. And before he does so, before he goes to that moment, he has a meal. And it's a meal that sets a community into motion, and it's a community table that emerges out of this moment, a community of the table. It's a way of being and a way of living. And it's a meal that was significant enough that we order our weekly worship around it. It's right here in the middle of our weekly worship. That meal is represented right here. It's a story that we um, participate in every single week. There's bread, and there's juice, and it's a community table. It's right here in the center, and it invites us weekly to a way of being and a way of living, and so let's read what he says as he institutes this meal. Verse 22, and as they were eating... He took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. We have to ask ourselves, what is the significance of this meal? 
Just like the bread that he breaks, he, in just the next chapter, takes his body and he breaks it. Just like the cup that he lifts up, in the next chapter, his body is lifted up on a cross. And that has significance for the disciples sitting around that table in that moment with him. And it has significance for us, those who gather around this table every week. Or maybe for the first time you come to this table this morning. This is a personal table. There's a seat for you at this table. There's space for you at this table, always. And as you come to this table, you participate in something very personal. Each time you take that bread, you receive Christ's forgiveness. Again. Each time you take that bread, he speaks peace over you. Each time you taste the juice, you rehearse again the new promise of his blood. The new relationship you have with him by his spirit in your life now. That this meal Jesus forgives. Jesus speaks peace. He reconciles to himself. He reconciles to each other. He reconciles to all of creation. Jesus affirms his, his presence with us by his spirit. And that's, this isn't the only place that those things can happen. But it happens here at this meal around this table. And as we gather around this table week after week, we literally receive the good news. It's the good news. And we receive it again and 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 again. Why? Because we need it. We need it. He offers it. We need it. And while this table is for me and for you, it's a personal table, it's also a communal table. There's a social significance to this table too. You come here and some of you bring your kids. Some of you come with your family members or your friends. And a lot of you stand here and you don't know each other, so you're at this table with strangers. Because there's space here for all of us. Whether we know each other or whether we don't. And as we come here, we are equal. It's a table of equals. The table levels everything out. And anything that divides us submits. 
here at this table in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we become a different kind of people. There's a quote by a man called David Fitch as he describes the communion table um, as, a, as holding social significance. He says this about the communion table. There we sit or stand, tending to one another and to his presence. And an, a, and an amazing social dynamic breaks forth that can only be described as a new political order subverting all other allegiances. Just as the first table of the early Christians subverted Rome and Caesar and started a new way of life before a watching world, so this table subverts all other politics of American self-preservation, accumulation, and individualism. All the way through the book of Mark, if you've been listening in, we have seen the dangers of Herod's table. We've seen the, Herod, the dangers of Caesar's table, the political powers. We've seen the dangers of what it means to gather around their tables, and we've seen the dangers of what it means to be around the religious elite's table because of what governs those tables. And the things that we've seen that have governed those tables have been self-importance and self-preservation and elitism. And Jesus and the early Christians, through their actions, were subverting the thoughts and actions that governed those kinds of tables. The self-importance and the self-preservation and the elitism. Jesus and those early Christians were subverting those kinds of ideologies and practices. And Jesus is still doing that today. Subverting the kinds of thoughts that govern our tables now. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we still lean towards self-importance. We still lean towards self-preservation. We still lean towards elitism, thinking ourselves better than others. We still lean towards individualism. We look out for ourselves. Those are the societal norms that kind of infiltrate and then determine what kinds of things, what kinds of actions, what kinds of words, who is at our tables. But at this table, in the presence of Jesus, we are called back to his reality. At this table, in the presence of Jesus, we're called back to his reality. There might be somebody in this room that has hurt you. And you both come to this table. And the, the resounding reality that sounds out is that it is forgiveness that governs our lives here. You may find yourself in this room with somebody that you disagree with politically. You may have voted or you may intend to vote for a different person. 
you may think yourself better than somebody else sitting in this room with you. For whatever reason. But around this table, it's the practice of peace and reconciliation that governs our lives together. And around this table, it is not self-preservation or comfort that we cling to. We cling to Jesus and what it is that he has to offer us. Not what we cling to or what we can hold on to, but what it is that he gives that governs our lives together. We become a community of the table. Jesus' table. And what we experience here is intended to shape who we are at other tables. So as we leave here, this meal shapes us as we go and sit around other people's tables. It's another passage in the Gospels and it says, and also in 1 Corinthians where Jesus uses the term, wherever you, wherever you do this, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we could hear that as wherever you eat in everyday life with people, remember me. Wherever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And so when we show up at guests at other people's tables, it's how we extend this table. It becomes an extension of who we are here as we sit down as guests at other people's tables. In May, I was in Germany. Get it? That's right. Got to have a whoop whoop for our German people in the house. Bring it. And um, I was uh, there with some friends and I um, had connections there through my family. And there was a woman there who I knew had known my grandfather when he was young. She met him directly after um, World War II. My grandfather fought um, for the seven years of the war and then was there in Germany a year after the war. And um, I knew that she knew him really well. She'd traveled a lot with him. She'd spent a lot of time with him. And I think she's like late 80s or early 90s. And so it's a period of life where I never got to know my grandfather because I was not existing at that point. So I couldn't really have chit-chats with him yet. So I went over to her one day and I asked her, I'm like, what stood out to you about my grandfather? He's kind of a formidable um, presence and human. So I was like, oh, I wonder what she would say to me about him, especially about him at that time. And so she told me a few stories about him, which was just delightful to hear, because, you know, she's his peer. Actually, she's a bit younger than him. And then one of them was about him driving down the autobahn. And she said, we were driving down, and all of it, there's this guy, and he was hitchhiking on the road. This is right after, literally months after the Second World War ended. 
Um, actually, more than that, because he had been there in occupational forces, so it was right after that time. And um, she said we were driving down, and he drove right past, and then all of a sudden he stops, basically stops on the freeway, and he reverses. And you know, to be fair, there's not that many cars driving along the autobahn, like right after the Second World War, so I don't think they're in any danger. So he, she's like, he's reversing down the freeway. And she's like, your grand, the car, and she's like, the car is already full. Like, we have no idea how dude's going to get in the car because the back is all full. And so my grandmother gets out of the car and Peter gets and he sits like right in the middle between my grandparents. And um, she said, off we go. We're just driving down the road. And she's like, you know what? And she looks at me. She's like, your grandmother pulls out her bread. She has these bread sandwiches because, you know, as a Brit, you always have a bread sandwich in your bag. She says, um, your grandmother, she pulled out bread from her bag. And she says, she said she shared her bread with him. And then she looked at me and she's like, Heather, people didn't share their bread with Germans at that time. My grandparents shared many meals in German homes. My grandfather, who was an evangelist, that's what he did before the war, traveled all around the British Isles telling people about Jesus. My grandfather, who was an evangelist, didn't just share ideas with people. Because when he talked about forgiveness, he shared his bread with them. When he talked about peace and reconciliation, he was sitting in their homes. And when he talked about a new kind of life on offer, it meant something. And when we show up as guests at other people's tables, it's how we extend this one. And there's a way to be a good guest, right? You have to go to places that aren't your home. There's a humility that you own, a vulnerability, a letting go of kinds of control when you show up in unknown places. There's a way to be a good guest. It's not just about sharing our ideas with people and extending this table. And Jesus instituted this meal before he went to the cross. And it's a meal, and with that meal, he sets a community into motion, a community of the table, a way of living, a way of being. And we will still be sitting at tables with Judas's who will betray us in the most intimate and personal of ways. We will sit at the table with Judas's. And we'll sit at the table with people who fall asleep when we most need them not to. And we'll sit at the table with those who abandon us. And we will sit at the table 
with those who will deny the truth about who we are when it really counts. And then the faithful presence of Jesus calls us back. His faithful presence will always call us back to the table. And in eating this bread and in tasting this juice, we remember who and what governs our lives. Jesus. Jesus. The way of Jesus, the presence of Jesus that governs our lives. So as you come to this table, know that it's personal. Jesus forgives today. Jesus forgives today. He speaks peace, reconciliation between you and God. He speaks peace today. And he offers newness of life by the power of his spirit today. And as you come to this table, it is communal. You will come together. You might come alone, but you will be standing alongside others. Perhaps you bring your family, somebody you love, somebody you don't know yet. And he calls you to submit out of allegiance to him to a new way of life. There may be someone that you need to forgive. There may be somebody that you need to speak peace over or offer life to. He can help you do it. He will help you do it by the power of his spirit. The power of his spirit that lives within you. And then when you go from here, Missio Day community, as you leave through those glass doors out of this parking lot, you get in your car, you get on a bike or you walk, you go as a guest. Paying attention to Jesus. paying attention to how he is extending this table through you into this city. So as you come to this table, remember it's personal. It's communal. It's an invitation to Jesus to attend and to attune to him. And then as you go from here to be as his guest, other tables, living close to him, his way, out and about in the city. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of um, betrayal and impending death, you instituted a table. 
a table that speaks of what it means to forgive, of what it means to speak peace, of what it means to be reconciled, what it means to be the ownership or have new life through a new covenant that means relationship with you by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody in here that doesn't know you but would like to know you, that in the quiet of their own heart, they would just say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn about you. And for those of us who say we do and have said that, I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we rehearse today, that moment and meal that you instituted by receiving bread and tasting juice, we would um, be confronted with your presence. And that Jesus, there would be things that you do by your spirit that would allow us to believe that we're forgiven, would allow us to believe that we're at peace with you, would allow us to believe that the power of your spirit that lives within us can do new things in and among us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that that faith would take us out as humble guests to be able to extend what is true of you and this table into our city. So Jesus, thank you for this table, for this meal, what it points us to, what it brings us back to, and what it grounds us in a way of life, a way of being that is you. Thanks, Jesus. Amen.